This is exactly right. Welcome to the Parent Footprint Podcast with Dr. Dan. I am Dr. Dan, your host. Our goal and mission at Parent Footprint is to create a loving world with more compassionate people, one parent and one child at a time. At Parent Footprint, we firmly believe the key to raising happy, healthy, engaged, and aware kids is for us parents to strive to be the same, to seek happiness, be healthy, seek engagement, and most importantly, become aware of who we are in our own lives and how we parent. We believe that awareness is the foundation of creating your own vision of successful parenting for your children now, your children in the future, and your grandchildren. Today's show is called Differently Wired, Raising an Exceptional Child in a Conventional World. And I am so excited to introduce you to our guest, Debbie Reber. I'm going to tell you lots of wonderful things about her. Debbie is a New York Times bestselling author, certified life coach, and speaker who's changed her career dramatically in 2016 when she founded Tilt Parenting, which we're going to talk about today, a website, weekly podcast, and social media company for parents like her who are raising differently wired children. The Tilt Parenting Podcast has grown to be a top podcast in iTunes Kids in the Family category with more than 150,000 downloads. And she has amazing high-profile thought leaders uh, as guests in the parenting and education space. Uh, She has written a book, which we are going to talk about today, which is coming out shortly. But a little bit more about her before she launched Tilt. She spent the 15 years prior writing inspiring books for women and teens. And before that, she was a writer and coach and worked in TV and video production. And what's also super cool about Debbie is in 2013, she moved from Seattle to Amsterdam, where she is right now as we speak. And she lives there with her husband and her son. Um, Debbie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. What a nice, warm welcome that was. I love that intro. (laughs) Um, I have been excited about this for a long time and actually hoping that we would connect as I have been following uh, Tilt Parenting since it, it since I believe it came out, um, your blogs, your podcasts. And um, tell us, tell everyone how, how this came to be and how it's just exploded internationally. Well, and I just before I even say that, I have to say that I've been following your work, too. And uh, Dr. Devin McEachern, um had actually emailed you about me and my son quite a while ago. And so I'm really thrilled that we're getting to connect, too. So thank you again for having me on. My pleasure. And yeah, so in terms of Tilt, I launched it in uh, April of 2016. So we just had our two-year anniversary. And I created it. It was kind of many, many years in the making. 
you know, in my mind, you know, as I was Mm -hmm. raising my own differently wired son and feeling really lost and overwhelmed with trying to figure out what this path was going to look like, not knowing how to access resources or even what resources I needed. And, you know, just kind of in a perpetual state of overwhelm. And I always just felt like there needs to be something for people like me. I shouldn't have to be, you know, spending all this time trying to piece together or cobble together this, you know, this path that isn't really even working anyway. So the seeds were there for a long time. Um, But when I, when we made this move to the Netherlands and I started homeschooling my child and I really dove deep into discovering who he was and, um, and really learning about myself and realizing that things could be so much better. Um, I wanted to share that with other people. So I spent about a year and a half developing tilt, thinking about what it would look like, what my goals were that I really wanted to bring together parents who are raising kids with any kind of neurodiversity, because I feel like we're Mm -hmm. kind of separated in little buckets, right? Our little diagnostic corners. And um, so I wanted to just bring attention to the fact that we're everywhere and we, our kids aren't outliers and they shouldn't be treated like outliers. And um, so I wanted to kind of start a, I called it a revolution. And, and then I, at the same time, wanted to provide parents like me, easy access to to community, to experts, and to really know that they're not alone in this. So that was the impetus for it. And the response has been incredible. It's, um, you know, as you said, and, and actually realized the your intro by numbers for my podcast, it's over 300,000 downloads now. It's grown wow. exponentially. And it's been so exciting to see, you know, the listeners are all over the world. And um and we are really everywhere and people are really getting excited and motivated by this idea that, yeah, you know, there's nothing wrong with our kids. You know, what's wrong is the system that we're trying to shove them into. And so I'm excited about the potential for changing that paradigm. Huge, huge potential. And it, just with the number correction that you just told me, it, there there is a pendulum swing because that number I got off of your publishing sheet, which we're going to be talking about your book, which will be out within a few months. So that means that that number has doubled in not that long of a time. Yeah, it's pretty, it's really interesting, the momentum that is starting to happen. And I think, you know, with podcasting in particular, it's, it can be kind of a niche thing or a word of mouth in the parenting space. And but, you know, once someone discovers you, then they want to explore your whole body of work. And, and, and then it just keeps spreading. It's been really exciting to see. So tell, so tilt, right? So right when I first saw um, your podcast, your blogs, your website, I was just automatically drawn in with the whole idea of tilt parenting. And so tell everyone what that means, tilt. So first of all, TILT is not an acronym. I get asked that question a lot. And at some point, maybe I will make up some words to go <laughs> to go with the name. But That'd be know, it. that'll stick when you do that. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to figure out the right thing. I'll have to talk to Dr. Dan Siegel, who's so good with acronyms. Oh, um, he's great with acronyms. <laughs> right. 
But yeah, so when I was thinking of the name, you know, it's overwhelming to come up with a name that's going to capture what you're trying to capture and the energy behind it and the connotation. And my son Asher was probably 10 or 11 when I was doing this work. And he was very involved in helping me with the early stages of what this was going to become. And so I would, you know, brainstorm all these words and he would shoot them all down, you know, or this is a negative connotation. And this sounds like this. And, and so I had this picture um, on a blog, I had kept about our journey together. And it was a picture of Asher and me and my mom on the Tilt-A-Whirl ride at um, Ocean City, New Jersey on the boardwalk. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're all holding on for dear life and our, you know, we've got these giant grins on our faces and our hair is flying everywhere. And um, I had used that image for the blog because it captured that sense of just unpredictability and hold on tight because you don't know when the next, you know, um, turn is going to happen and whip you around. And so that word, and, and I actually called the blog Tilt a World because um, we mm. were tilting our world by making this big change and moving abroad. And so that word tilt just kept showing up. And uh, I was talking with a friend and she's like, that word tilt, it's just so strong. And, and it has so many different meanings that could all relate to tilting your perspective and, you know, just things being disruptive, but disrupted in the path you thought you were on, but not necessarily in a bad way. And so right. Asher approved it. And so I went with it. That approval was probably the hardest part of the whole process, getting yeah. that approval. <laughs> yes, approval yeah. on a lot of things, logos, the colors, fonts, all of it. Yes. <laughs> so the, your book, which um, I feel so privileged to have been given a, a copy of the manuscript um, to be able to read it. it, it there is so much in there. Uh, and... I, I know that so many people are going to benefit from uh, how you bridge, you know, your per- like your personal story, how you've put that out there with such um, knowledge and uh, strategy and um, perspective and insight. Those are those are a few of the adjectives that I'm going to use to describe it. And what I uh, we're going to talk about uh, different aspects of the book today. I want to just say, everyone, when I when I learned that you were um, living in Amsterdam, I uh, thought immediately of a trip there a long, long time ago and seeing the uh, Vincent van Gogh exhibit, which was one of the highlights. And there it is, a quote that you have on the very first, uh, in the intro, a quote from Vincent van Gogh, which says, normality is a paved road. It's comfortable to walk, but no flowers grow on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. what a wonderful intro into this parenting journey, right? And, and life with these differently wired kids. Yeah, there's nothing really comfortable about it. And uh, I think <laughs> right. much of our work is learning how to, how to be okay with being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And how, for all the folks out there listening, they might be thinking, how do you do that? How do you get comfortable <laughs> with the daily at uh, you know hourly uncomfortableness that can occur with these intense and sensitive youth yeah that is such a big question you know mm-hmm. and it's and i will just start by saying that it's it can be an ugly process like learning how to 
be okay with being uncomfortable because for so many of us, and I think this is true for, you know, most parents, regardless of your child's wiring, but we like to feel like we have some control over who our kids are and um, what their childhood's going to look like and the sports they're going to be in and, you know, the school they'll go to and all of those things. And uh, so when you start realizing that you're not really in control and, um, and actually maybe the path you thought you were on isn't even an option for you, um, that is a, that can be a really rough place to, you know, to be and to just kind of come to terms with that disconnect between what you thought this was going to look like and what it actually is looking like. And, you know, I don't think there's a quick way to, to learn how to be okay with that other than, I mean, and not other than, but the way to do it, at least in my experience is to fully honor and acknowledge all of it, like honor the, the sadness, the pain, the uncomfortableness, and and just be in it, you know, don't push it away, but explore it. And what is this? What is this about? What is this bringing up for me? And and really turning to yourself. I mean, the thing that we can control is how we choose to move through this. And uh, right. but I think we do have to choose to be in it. We can't, you know, we can't push it away, or we'll never get to that place of being okay with what is. Exactly. And this this leads nicely into one of your main messages. There are several in the book, but one of them is letting go of your impossible expectations for who you should be as a parent. Mm-hmm. And those shoulds just get to us. You know, tell us about how, how do we fight those shoulds and how does that play into how we're parenting in the moment, which might not be the best thing because of the shoulds that we have of, for ourselves and our kids. Yeah, that word should I, you know, many years ago, I, I attempted to ban it from my lexicon, like I'm not allowed to use that word. And I really when you do that, you start noticing when it comes up, because it's such a waste of a word. Um, It's so judgy. And, and it's instantly putting you at a, in a, in a place of, um, of lesser than or, you know, failure, really. And uh, for me, this lesson in particular, was a very painful one for me to go through because, you know, I, I am a high performing person. I've been very successful in my career. I'm super organized and I'm just good at getting stuff done and I'm a good problem Mm -hmm. solver. Like I have all these tools and Mm -hmm. then, um, and then I find, you know, myself raising a child that doesn't care about any of those tools. Like that has nothing to do with his agenda. And, Mm -hmm. uh, And so when, especially in that year that we made this big transition where I was homeschooling and, and really had to, I really just had to like be more present than I'd ever been in my life and figure out who my child was and what he needed. I was so hard on myself because it was so hard. And then I was beating myself up because I should be better at this. I know this stuff. I'm a, life coach, for God's sake, I know this stuff, I can't believe, yeah. it. you know, why can't I be like, you know, Elizabeth Gilbert, and just kind of be all zen about it, you know, right, and uh, right. yeah, and putting all that stuff on top of what was already so hard was, um, 
it's just not a great place to be. It was probably one of my lowest points um, in my adult life that, you know, a couple of months, right? And it was really because of, I just demanded more of myself. And I had to learn that this is a really human experience. It's hard. And I'm going to screw up. And I still, you know, I screw up multiple times daily. And Mm -hmm. that's totally okay. Like, it's all good. It's all it's part of, it's part of my learning. It's part of Asher's learning and, uh, and there's nothing wrong with it. No, there's not. And uh, you're reminding me of a similar, uh, both painful and then eventually aha moment of the shoulds with, uh, in our life with our, uh, differently wired kids and intense kids when they were young, it was how come we should be able to have um, family dinners. We should be able to go out to dinner. We should be able to get through a night without a complete meltdown. And those shoulds were just, it just made my wife and I feel like we are bad parents because Mm -hmm. this is not supposed to happen. And I just remember thinking, who says we're supposed, like, it'd be nice but it doesn't mean it's supposed to happen, right? Yeah. And it just that shift can really change how we feel in the moment with our kids. But at, at most importantly, what we um, the energy we bring to our interaction with them and the messages that they're getting from us verbally and non-verbally about how um, we feel about their behavior. Yeah, absolutely, and. Yeah, it's that that idea of arguing with reality. And I don't remember if it's at the beginning of the chapter about um, who you should be as a parent or not. But, you know, there's a quote by Byron Katie that I love. And she's, you know, she says, when you argue with reality, you'll lose, but only 100% of the time. Like, that's <laughs> you can't yeah. say it any simpler than that. Anytime you're no. shitting on yourself, you are totally... arguing with reality. Yes. Um, that was... Uh... Albert Ellis, right? Shooting on yourself. Yes. In fact, yeah. Nice. Nice. (laughs) I love that term. Um, Everyone's thinking, what does that mean? So what what that means, everyone, (laughs) is one of the cognitive ways that we get ourselves in trouble um, is when we think about shoulds. And Albert Ellis, uh, who invented rationally motivated behavioral therapy a long time ago, said, don't should on yourself. So you all know what that means. Okay. So... We need to let go of the shoulds and stop shooting on ourselves. Um, <laughs> how about this idea of becoming fluent in our kids' language? What does that mean? Yeah, yeah that's something, you know, that I realized so much of what I was doing. Um, and that was helping my relationship with Asher um, grow and become stronger and for him to become more just you know kind of lose the anxiety and get out of fight or flight was because i was learning how to speak his language i was learning how to um recognize the cues that he was you know giving me what his the nonverbal cues what they meant um i was learning how to you know, uh, communicate with him as well in ways that, you know, without just verbally, but you know, that I could take an action, like even just bringing home a hot chocolate, if I was out running errands for him, you know, that's a way of 
meeting his needs on a certain level and speaking his language, you know, a language of love is involves hot chocolate in our house. But, um, but just really recognizing that all of his behavior, and this is, you know, not a, a new idea, but, you know, behavior is communication. And it's so critical because our kids communication doesn't look like we, you know, as we just said, like we think it should look and, but nonetheless, they are communicating their needs to us all the time. Like they are making it very clear what skills they have, what they don't have, what they need when they're upset. And so our job as parents is to, is to be really curious and keep trying to create our own little, you know, Google translate for our kids mm -hmm. way of communicating and then also figuring out how we can communicate to them in a way that they can receive it. Which is so key. Um, and I know that uh, Tina Bryson and Dan Siegels, which work, you know, very well as well, how much they talk about how it, it really doesn't matter what we do if our kids can't receive what we're trying to do. Yeah. Right. So, um, part of it is us communicating in a way, um, well, us understanding what they're trying to communicate to us. And then how do we regulate ourselves in those moments to communicate back in a way that it actually lands? Yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, I think it's also recognizing we have to understand the things that trigger us as well in, in that communication, because we can completely misinterpret something if what they're doing you know, well, just like any conversation you have with your partner or, you know, a friend, um, if something triggers one of our uh, insecurities or an area where we're especially vulnerable, then that's how we're going to see everything. And then that's going to impact how we respond to our child. So we have to also do that work of getting clear on the things that tend to regularly get us tripped up. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, and that fight and flight, which you mentioned is often with these kids, the fight and flight, uh, their, their, their fear of part of their brain, their amygdala gets triggered and that behavior yeah. can be pretty big. Um, and then we react to that, um, mm -hmm. when we understand where it's coming from, if we can. Yeah. Cause it's not logical, you know, in our mind, it's yeah. completely irrational behavior, right? Yeah. There's no, you yeah. know, and, uh, but we can't look at it through our lens because there's always a reason, right? Always a reason. Yeah. Okay. Aligning with our partner. And um, you talk about aligning with our partners. And I want to um, expand it. I know it also includes for those out there who might be single parents and are getting help from their parents. It's aligning with you know all of the important people in a child's life. How important is this? And how do you do it? Oh, goodness. Um, that's a whole other episode. No, um, yeah. it's, it's so important. And it's especially with parents with differently wired kids, there, there can be so much um, inconsistency and or imbalance. And, you know, in terms of who is shouldering the the bulk of, you know, the the uh, challenges or, or the kind of extra things that are related to a child, the needs that they have. So, um, you know, even just in terms of who's the one who knows the schedule for therapies or who is, you know, being the 
the main parent to respond to emails from teachers or setting up the IEP, you know, all of that stuff. From what I've heard in my community, there's often a pretty, uh, there can be a, an unevenness there. And that if we're not addressing that can be really harmful for, you know, any sort of relationship because it's hard for one person to feel like it's all rests on them. And, uh, it's tricky. It's really tricky. So, um, and, and then that consistency piece is really key. And, you know, I wrote about this in the book that, um, I was getting kind of like Asher 101 lessons. I was spending all my time with him and I was, I was going through my own personal growth spurt and really understanding who he was. And it was, um, it was benefiting our relationship so much and it was really helping him feel more regulated and things were just going smoother. And then my husband wasn't on the same wavelength because he wasn't getting all those opportunities to practice. And, you know, he just wasn't in the same place as me. And that was really tricky because, you know, then I, sometimes I felt like I was, um, having to, you know, things would be going great. And then he would come home, the energy would shift. And then I would have to kind of try to manage all of that, you know, and that happens a lot. You know, I hear from a lot of parents that that is, is happening in their, um, in their homes as well. And so when I talk about, you know, designing an alliance, whether it is with your partner or with your, um, support team, it's so important to, to set aside time to regularly debrief, even if it's, you know, for five minutes a day, but just to have that check-in. So you feel like you're, you know, you have a partner in this, you're, you're not alone and that you're also on the same page and you can help the other person can help shoulder the burden. And, uh, yeah, it's just so, it's so important. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I actually did a podcast episode about this. It was, the first, first and only time my husband has come on the show and we really Mm -hmm. had an honest conversation about what it looked like for us. And it was messy. You know, it was a couple of years of really having to figure this out. And, Mm -hmm. uh, but it's so important that you do that work because the, the longer you let it go without kind of having those conversations, the divide just gets bigger. And, um, and it's really hard then, you know, that gets harder and harder to get back to a stable place, I think. It does. And th- these kids pick up on stuff, even if they don't understand it, right? There's that emotion and energy that it impacts them. Everything's connected. In yes, my experience. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So um, uh, this last concept, we only have time for one more concept, unfortunately. And this one really jumped at me because uh, I think it's so critical and that's when you talk about parenting from a place of possibility instead of fear. Mm-hmm. Yes, that is a huge one for me too. And I use um, Neil Donald Walsh's quote from, or his concept from one of his books, Conversation with God, where he talks about, you know, that you can only make any decision from either a place of love or a place of fear. Like, that's it. Right. And right. when I, that to me, when I read it so many years ago, really struck me and stayed with me. And I really kind of, and it's proved to be true. I keep testing it and it, and it continues to be true. And I think so many of us find ourselves making fear-based decisions because we're so concerned about 
what does this mean? What are the implications? What does this mean for school? What does this mean for college? Is this, you know, what is this going right. to look like? And, yep. and it's reinforced every day, you know, Facebook and the pictures of all these kids who are winning awards and this and that. And we're like, you know, we're just constantly thrown into this comparison cycle and then feeling lesser than, and it sparks our fear. And, you know, so I really, I'm hoping that that chapter in particular helps people recognize, you know, when they are operating from a place of fear and start playing with choosing possibility, choosing love instead because it may feel scarier. Fear, fear actually fear, feels more known, right? So it's more comfortable right. in some ways to choose the fear. But when we can choose love and possibility and curiosity, then things just open up in ways we could never expect. You know, our move here to Amsterdam was a total leap of faith. I'd never been to the country before. We sold our house. We knew nobody here. And we just, and we were starting homeschool. It was a terrifying, absolutely terrifying thing to do. But Courageous. I knew, yeah, but I knew there was, I was like, in my heart of hearts, I was like, this is what we're supposed to do. You know, we could stay here and get them another IEP and kind of keep pushing our way through this. But this, something tells me we're supposed to do this. So we, we chose possibility and, you know, I'm not, everyone's going to pick up and move abroad. That's not what I'm suggesting, but just notice when we're making choices based in fear and consider and try, you know, even if they're small choices, choosing possibility and see what that opens up for you. I love it. I love it. And you are an inspiration for, I mean, that you just, you guys went for it. And how exciting. What an adventure. What an adventure. It has adventure. been an adventure for sure. Yeah. <laughs> it is time for the parent footprint moment already. So the moment, as all you listeners know, this is where Debbie is going to tell us about a time when she became aware of herself as an individual and or as a parent. And that new awareness had a positive impact on Asher. Yes. So um, the thing that came up for me when considering this question is, it's honestly not one of my prouder parenting moments, but um, it was shortly after we moved here and I had set up a play date with someone and uh, who had a son around Asher's age. It was a, a Dutch woman here and we were talking and I was trying to explain, you know, why we were homeschooling, but really why things were hard for us, why school hadn't worked. And she was one of those people who kind of dismissed, you know, any notion of neurodiversity. Oh, we're all, you know, we're all different. There's no, and I, and I really, for some reason, I felt the need for this woman to really truly understand how hard my life had been. <laughs> like I was making it all about me and yeah. I wanted her to know, you know, to realize, no, I'm not talking about, you know, just I, I'm talking, this is what's going on. And, you know, essentially throwing Asher under the bus. And I left that conversation just feeling like, what the heck was that about? You know, why, mm -hmm. why, why do you care what this woman thinks? Why are you prioritizing your own comfort over, over, over your child? Like it really, 
disturbed me. And it, mm-hmm. it, I came home and I just had to really reflect and, and make a promise to myself that that wasn't the last time I did that. I am, would mm-hmm. not be doing that ever again. And mm-hmm. that I really needed to, I needed to be his greatest, you know, ally and, and stand up for him and have, make sure he knows always that I have his back, that I'm never taking anyone else's side. And mm-hmm. so that was a really humbling, painful moment for me. But it definitely, um, I think it's benefited both of us greatly because I, I did make a big change after that moment. Thank you for sharing that. And because, first of all, your authenticity, um, it, 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 not, it helps and it heals. And all of us parents in these situations, uh, we have been there and yeah. uh, we've all been there. And uh, it just helps. It, it really helps to hear it that uh, we, we, f- we feel like we need to defend, in some respects, defend our own experience for so many of the people, educators, uh, onlookers who don't get it. There's a lot of people who don't get that experience. Yeah. Um, and it, 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 it's hard, but, but you chose Asher, right? Your, your, your awareness was you're choosing Asher over them. Absolutely. And I will every time, every single yeah. time. I don't doubt it. Ah, Debbie, this is wonderful. Um, I want to just highlight a few things for our listeners that you said. Pearls, be in it, be present, be curious, choose love, choose possibility. Let's all try to do one of those things today. We'll just start today. Um, The show... Differently Wired, Raising an Exceptional Child in a Conventional World. Uh, Debbie's new book coming out soon. Debbie, tell us more about this, the launch, and where everyone can find you. Yes. Well, the book comes out on June 12th. So we're we're getting close to launch day. And um, the best way to find me, and if you want to learn more about the book, is to go to tiltparenting.com. That's where you'll find all my 100 plus podcast episodes. And I have a page there for the book. Actually, you can go to tiltparenting.com slash differently wired. And I'm not exactly sure when this episode's airing, but as of May 22nd, I will have um, some really awesome pre-order bonuses. So if people want to check out the book ahead of time, they'll get some bonus content, including I'm going to be running a virtual book club later in the summer um, with people who pre-order the book. So um, yeah, tiltparenting.com. I'm also on Facebook at Tilt Parenting, Instagram, doing more of that these days. And I am a kind of a newer tweeter, but I'm starting to really enjoy that medium as well. Also at Tilt Parenting. Awesome. So everyone keep joining this avalanche, uh, this revolution that we are all going to help Debbie tilt the world in the right direction. We're going to keep at it. All right, that's it, everyone. Please check out our stuff at www.parentfootprint.com. Look at the Parent Footprint Awareness Training, which is designed to help you be the parent you want to be and raise the child you want to raise now and in the future. Always remember this guiding thought. What footprint 
do you want to leave? 